They have so much fun in there. I'm jealous. Well, good morning, church. The readings this morning are so rich. Jesus commands us to love one another. He tells that we, we're told the truth that we love him because he first loved us. And is commanded to abide in his love, to live there, to make our dwelling inside his love. Jesus telling us that we did not choose him, but he chose us. And that there is no fear in love, but that perfect love casts out all fear. And John's statement that God is love. What rich readings we have today. Today on this sixth Sunday of Easter on Mother's Day, I want to focus on his command that we love one another as he loved us. Because it seems to me that this is one of the most important things that we can do. But it's also one of the most difficult things that he calls us to. And unless we really give ourselves to this, unless we take our life and live this way on purpose, then we won't do it. And the truth is this. In this life, we are going to love something. We're going to give ourselves to something. We're going to spend our lives on something. And if we're not careful and purposeful about what that is, then we're going to look back and we're going to find out that we missed it. Jesus commands that we love one another. And if we don't intentionally set our hearts to doing this, to do that on purpose, then before we know it, the opportunity to love one another will be lost. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but toward the end of John's life, John the disciple, uh, the beloved disciple, the only one of his male disciples to stand there at the foot of Jesus, at the, at the foot of the cross when Jesus was being crucified. Uh, he was the last one to, live, to be alive. And toward the end of his life, his, his disciples would carry John into a room filled with pilgrims who had walked for miles and miles to hear from this last living disciple, the last one on earth who had actually been with Jesus. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to be with somebody that had been with Jesus. And toward the end of his life, he always said the same thing. He had reduced his message to just one thing. And they'd bring him in and they'd sit him down and he'd say, little children, love one another. At the end of his life, that was his only message. Little children, love one another. Because he said, this is Jesus's command. That's what he told us to do. And here's what I think. I think that it's hard. I think it's hard for us to do this. I think this is one of those things that seems like it ought to be easy. But when we really think about it, when we really try to follow it, when we, re we realize that this is not going to be an easy command to obey. One of my favorite musicians is a man named Rich Mullins. How many, how many of you know who Rich Mullins was? Right? He, he died in 1997 when he was only just, he was just 41 years old. He was on his way to a, uh, to a benefit concert, uh, but, he, but he had a car accident and he died. And he was just real in his songs. You could just hear him. He wasn't trying to be something. He wasn't trying to uh, put on a show. He was just being himself singing to the Lord, and it was just a beautiful thing to do. I'm going to digress for a minute and say that when I got out of college, I was in a band for about 10 years, and we were, um, we were touring the country, and we had several opportunities to get signed by record labels, but one of the things that they told me was, you know what, uh, you're, you've got sort of premature hair loss, and, um, and that's really just kind of not cool, and so, but what is cool is if you just shaved your head, 
And then they said, so that would be cool. So we'd, we'll sign you if you agree to shave your head. And then they said, and stop playing the acoustic guitar. Instead, play the electric guitar and write sort of grunge rock instead of what y'all write. And it was like, they weren't really trying to sign my band. They were trying to sign something else. They wanted us to conform to what they wanted us to be. Does that make sense? Okay, well, anyway, that was a digression. Uh, I'm going to digress a little bit further. I was playing a show. When I realized that my career in music was over, I was playing a show, and, I was, and it was at this big uh, festival. I'm just thousands and thousands of people there, and I was getting up on stage to just make sure that the guitar tech had tuned my guitar right, and so I was just making sure everything was working, you know, checking everything, and one of the stage, the staff, the, the security guys, walked up to me and said, sir, get off the stage right now, put that guitar down. And I was like, I'm, but I'm, I'm in the band. He's like, sir, put the guitar down right now. And I was like, God, okay, you know, put the guitar down and walk off. And then I come back on stage and I start playing the show. And he looks at me, he's like, oh my gosh, he was in the band. After the show, he came up to me, he said, I'm so sorry. I mean, you just look so much like an accountant. I couldn't believe that you were in the band. Like, okay, that was it. I'm not going to play music anymore. I look like an accountant. Now I look like a priest. I'm not in the band. Anyway, back to Rich Mullins. He was not, he didn't shave his head for anybody. He didn't start playing somebody else's kind of music. He just wrote songs from his heart, and they were just beautiful. One of my favorite songs of his talks about the love of God. That's what it's called, the love of God. And in the song, God's love is described as a wild tempest, a raging sea. And here's how it starts. There's a wideness in God's mercy that I cannot find in my own. And he keeps his fire burning to melt this heart of stone, keeps me aching with the yearning, keeps me glad to have been caught in the reckless, raging fury that they call the love of God. I love that. He knows that God's love is not a hallmark card kind of thing. It's a strong love. It's a fierce love. It's a reckless, raging fury kind of love. You know, I think maybe the closest we get on earth to understanding the love of God is the love of a mother for her child. I mean, today is Mother's Day, right? Happy Mother's Day, everybody. But think about it. What won't a mother do to save her child? I mean, think about a mother's love, how it rages when her child is threatened. What danger would she not face to save her child? She would put herself between a pack of wild animals in order to save her child. So fierce is her love. In fact, a few years ago, a mother in Canada had an opportunity to do this. She, uh, she was uh, outside with three of her kids, and one of them was off playing with a pack of the other kids. And, and then all of a sudden, she heard a whole bunch of screaming around the corner. And so she ran over there to see what was up. And a 700-pound polar bear had come up and was kind of cornering the children. As a matter of fact, her child was the one that the polar bear had kind of backed into at a corner. And so... The bear was 700 pounds, eight feet long, and she was only five feet tall, barely 100 pounds. But this is what that mom did. She didn't hesitate to run right up to that bear and start punching the bear in the face, okay? And yelling at her little boy to run. When the bear roared and swatted her away, kind of scraping her up uh, and knocking her on the ground, uh, she, she kept kicking him, just kept kicking and punching at the bear. And the ordeal wasn't over until a neighbor came out with a, with a gun and shot the gun and the bear ran off. People, what makes a five foot tall, 100 pound woman run up to a bear and start 
and pick a fight with a polar bear. What makes her do that? One of the most dangerous bears on the planet. It's love. Love that is fiercer than death. That's what. Love that will risk it all to save the one it loves. That's the reckless, raging fury of a mother's love. Thank you, God, for moms. Thank you, God. Moms are fearlessly, relentlessly, and even recklessly for their children. That's what a mother's love looks like. And people, that's what God's love looks like for us. But infinitely more fearless and and relentless. And the way we know it is that God's love was most clearly on display in Jesus when he was being crucified. When humanity was unleashing our worst hate and cruelty at him, God was rushing into the storm to rescue us. That's how relentless he is. That's how reckless his love is. That he would love us so much that even when we are hating him and lashing out at him and and even killing him, he rushes in to love us anyway. What a reckless love. A love that will risk death, that will risk it all to save the ones he loves. That's you. That's the ones he loves. That's me. And here's the part that confronts us today. Here's when we get confronted in these readings. Jesus calls us to love one another as he has loved us in the same way with that same reckless love. I mean, do you see what he's calling us to? Do do you see what he's calling us to? Like if we really started living like this, the world would think that the people of God were crazy. If we truly loved each other relentlessly and recklessly, even to the point of risking it all, even to the point of risking death for each other, what would people think? I don't even know what that would look like if we started living like that if we started loving each other like that. I don't know if we've ever seen that kind of love in a community, except maybe in a family. But I do have one thought that I'd like to share about beginning to love each other in this way. And maybe it can be a place for us to start as we try to obey Jesus' command to love one another. Have any of you seen the movie About Time? Raise your hand. One person, and it was my dad. Listen, you've got to see the movie even though I'm about to ruin it for you right here, okay? You've got to see this movie. It's a wonderful movie. It came out a few years ago. Maybe it's not something that you want to watch with your children because there's some things in there that maybe you don't want them to see. But to me, it's one of the best movies I've ever seen. Uh, For those of you that this might turn you on or off to the movie, but it was written by the same guy that wrote Notting Hill and Love Actually. And so you've heard of some of these movies. And uh, it's a great movie about time. You should see it. Let me tell you about it. It's about this one family in England, and it starts off with this young man. He's kind of doing a voiceover. He's the oldest son in the family. Uh, he's talking about his life so far, and it's amazing. Uh, as images of his, of his family, <coughs> excuse me, of his family, excuse me, <clears throat> that's something caught in my throat. Actually, I'm just getting prematurely emotional about it, but um, <laughs> he's talking about his family through the years, and, he, and you're seeing these images, and he talks about his childhood. It was a really an amazing one. His parents always seemed to be there for him, and particularly how his dad always seemed to have time on his hands. And how they would spend hours together walking on the beach, enjoying each other and loving each other. His father, he's just found out that his father has cancer and is going to die, only about a few months left to live. And then he asks this question. What kind of a man quits his job at the height of his career so that he can stay home and play table tennis with his children? What kind of a man does that? And here's what we find out. 
the men in the family, stay with me, okay? The men in the family can travel through time, okay? Uh, and they can go back to points that they have already lived. They can't go to, back to Napoleon's age or anything, but they can go back to points in their life in which they were alive. And, um, and so throughout the movie, you see the son, who's just found out that he can do this, and his father going back in time to live moments again, to live them better, to live them the way they wish they had lived them. So like at his son's wedding, his dad gets up to make a toast. But afterwards, his dad says, you know what? I should have, that was almost right. But I should have said how proud I am of you. I, should, I wish I'd said I loved you in that toast. And the son says, it's okay, dad. I know you do. You don't have to go back and say it again and do it right. It's okay. But of course, the dad does. Because the father says, if you can do it right, and if you can say it right, then why wouldn't you? Later in the movie, the son suddenly realizes why his dad quit his job at the height of his career. This is what he says. The only people who give up work at 50 are the time travelers with cancer who want to play more table tennis with their sons. Those are the people that do it. See, the first time around, the first time his dad had lived his whole life, went went to work at the university, and then found out that he had cancer in his 70s, and he'd missed it. His children had grown up and moved away. But when he was diagnosed with cancer, he realized that he should have lived his life a different way. And so he went back to when his children were young and lived it again. Quit his job 20 years early to spend those years with his kids, taking joy in their life and in their growing up, doing the right thing, saying the right thing, living and loving the right way because because he could. And the thing is, even though that was the movie, it's amazing, you should watch it, even though I just ruined it. The thing is, even though none of us can go back in time like that dad, even though we can't go back and say the things that we wish we had said, we do have the chance to start living it right today and saying it right today. We might not have the power to go back in time and relive our lives the way we wish we had, but we do have the power to live our lives today, to live each and every moment the right way, the way we wish we would have. I wish I had said yes when my son asked me to ride bikes with him. I wish I'd been there to cheer when my daughter was on that stage in that play. I wish I'd made more time to time for my kids while they still even wanted me to play with them. I wish I'd spent more time loving and encouraging and just being with my wife. We can't go back, but we can start today, living more recklessly and loving more relentlessly. We can decide today that there will be no more missed opportunities to love. No more missed opportunities to love one another. Jesus commands us to love one another because he knows that unless we actually make the choice, unless we make a purposeful effort to actually do it, we won't. That's why he told, that was why he made that command. We'll live in the default position and we'll miss it. We'll miss out on the people and the life that God wants us to live. So what are some of the things that if you could go back and do them right, what were some of those things that you would do that? And how can you use that knowledge today so that you can live the right way from now on into the future? What are some of the things that you wish, thinking about them, that you could say again better, you could live again the right way? And how can you use that knowledge of that today to start living better and saying the right thing going into the future. A mother's love is reckless. It's relentless. 
And God's love for you is so much more reckless and relentless. And it's costly. Sometimes when we love like that, we're going to get bruised up. Sometimes our hearts will break. When Jesus loved us like that, it cost him so much. He had to die on a cross. But people loving like that, it's worth it. It's hard. But the best things always are. So may you begin today to love one another. May you begin today to love with a reckless and relentless love. And may you know that fierce love of God, that the love that he has for you, the love that is fiercer than death. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand with me.